0: Movine A Contemporary Ghost Story Written and narrated by Roy Baldwin Chapter 3 2010 in the Erasmus Medical Centre, Rotterdam Lying in a hospital bed was not an experience that Victoria would have ever put high on her desirables priority list. It had been two days since she suddenly awoke, groggy and incoherent, from a week-long coma, even taking Eva to the local accident and emergency in Amsterdam years back, when Eva fell over in the snow and sprained her ankle, filled her with dread. Perhaps it was that weird sort of hangover relationship from her childhood, when her mother used to constantly talk about the Ormskirk Fever Hospital, and children screaming and dying from polio in the fifties all locked up in Dickensian old buildings with high windows with bars and extensive grounds with dogs patrolling. She knew in her heart hospitals were never really like that, and her mother's imagination was going through another paranoid turn, but the subconscious stuck. But as she looked around, that old childhood obsession began to dissipate fast. She was in bed, in a private room, all light and airy, with lots of comforting equipment around her. As a scientist, that gave her a lift of confidence, perusing the tubes and medications lying on the table. Obviously, some of that gear had been plugged into her before she woke up, fluids, sensors, alarms rigged, but the equipment was now discreetly pushed away. Thank God she had forged back into life under her own steam by some miracle guardian angel watching over. What an odd thing to think, she mused, being an ardent atheist and humanist. No such thing as that guardian angel nonsense, eyeing the gorgeous long mauve velvet curtains hanging conspicuously in front of her. This was an expensive set Her employer must be being uncharacteristically generous, as she could never have afforded it. Those curtains were the first thing she saw when she first came round. Only they weren't curtains, just a blur of purple light, all kinds of shades and hues of violet, some green, some golden, and some mm, crimson, shimmering and shading from one to another in a warm and welcoming blur of intricate patterns. If it wasn't for Abby and her obsession with colour schemes, she would never have known so many shades of violet existed. Strange. It was like one of those dreams where you're flying at a 100 miles an hour, soaring into the sky and never wanting to leave. And then she woke up to a sea of smiling faces in white coats and she was alive again. Only now could she begin to think properly although what got her there in the first place was still hazy. She remembered the sirens wailing mournfully louder and louder, then a huge flash, and that was that. She would have to work on exercising her brain and began recreating a mental portfolio of her life since coming to Holland. Suddenly the door opened, with a knock and two nurses, one carrying a tray of porridge and berries with some toast and a glass of hot tea entered. They smiled and began to speak to her in English. She sat up, and they plumped her pillows and fluffed her sheets, then wheeled over a large bed trolley to put the food onto. Miss Mackenzie, we're so glad to see you awake. It's time to eat some proper food now. Are you feeling peckish? I am Anna Mika, and my colleague is Velamina. Victoria stirred at their badges and smiled. She was certainly feeling hungry. Gosh, this was the first real meal she had seen. Yesterday had only been chicken soup. Vilmina, what a lovely name. She'd never heard that before. Actually, it's Miss, not Miss Mackenzie. I'm not quite that liberated, but hey, just call me Vicky. No need for the formality. And thank you so much for the care, the food, and well, keeping me alive. They laughed. All part of the service, Vicky, but hopefully you won't do it again, Wilhelmina replied with a broad grin and a mouth full of big white teeth, a bit like a horse, but somehow very attractive. Victoria was quite amused. They were so Dutch, and not just the blonde hair in small pigtails and the sharp blue eyes, but the way they spoke English, that trademark, stilted accent and precise wording the few Dutch seemed to lose. Anna Mika took her temperature and blood pressure and finally a quick heart scan with weird electrode sensors placed on her body as they lifted her white nightgown up realising she had a pair of matching knickers on underneath but nothing else. She tucked into the steaming porridge and fruit with relish real food at last whilst the two nurses quietly wrote up her notes for the delicious-looking Dr. Ahmed, who would be visiting later in the morning to check on her progress. She felt relieved when they began wheeling out the contraption with lights, bottles, fluids and tubes all over it like a monster electronic octopus. Anna Mika came back over. We'll leave you to your breakfast. I'm so glad you have your appetite returned well. It is quite possible, I think, that only one more day you may be here. We will see what Dr. Ahmed says later. As they walked towards the door, Wilhelmina made some remarks in Dutch to Annemiekia, both of them grinning. Victoria raised her hand and also grinned. Hey, both of you. I speak fluent Dutch. Thanks for the vote of confidence. Wilhelmina turned and smiled back, her eyes flashing. Yes, Vicky, I know, she grinned, and they closed the door, chattering away down the corridor outside. Victoria started to butter the toast with marmalade. The tea was nice, but she still hated that awful Dutch habit of serving tea in a glass. She would never get used to that, ever. It really bucked her up to hear Vilamina say how attractive she was, and that her progress from coming out of the coma was nothing short of miraculous. That was just what a girl wants to hear stuck in hospital. She decided to work her brain further before Dr. Ahmed arrived, and convinced herself all that was well. She began running through as many organic chemical structures and formulae as she could, saying out the compound loud and repeating the formulation. Although why her head was suddenly focused on coal-tar derivatives, she had no idea, not having studied those since she left Leiden University. But aniline she immediately rattled off. C27, H24, N4. Or was it actually that complex a molecule? As she was happily working through an array of organic compound formulae, and pleased with how much recall she could muster, a second knock sounded, and the door swept open. A tall, unaccompanied elderly Asian man walked briskly up to the bed, closing the door behind her. She peered through her glasses as he held out his hand. Ah, Dr Mackenzie, I am Mr Ahmed, Principal Consultant in this Establishment for Trauma Injuries. I think now we should decide what to do next. Do you agree? She looked up confused. I'm sorry, I did see a Dr Ahmed. Unless my brain is playing tricks, he was, yes, I agree, much younger, definitely more handsome and dashing, but not quite as wise yet. She had no idea who this character was or what he was talking about, but at least he got her title correct for the first time. She had worked long and hard for that PhD, so he wasn't totally bonkers, feeling for the intruder panic button just in case. The consultant laughed. Dr. Ahmed is my son, registrar, in accident and emergency. But in fact, whilst you were sleeping peacefully over the last seven days, you were transferred then into my care. Now I must say, I am astounded by your rate of recovery, considering how you were when you came in. We have had nobody like you before, Dr. Mackenzie, so that I can only put it down to strong Scottish genes. He grinned. The good news, having reviewed your notes and spoken to all of my team of specialists, is we fully concur that tomorrow you can be on your way home at lunchtime. I'd just like a final 24 hours to be sure. Can someone pick you up? She grinned wildly. In fact, quite inanely, really. It was so unexpected. She had anticipated being in for weeks and weeks. That's amazing, Mr. Ahmed. Thank you so much for what you have done. Whatever was in those bottles of fluids works some magic. I'll call my flatmate Abby shortly. She'll pick me up. All down to you this time. Tell me, what did you do your doctorate in? Polymer chemistry at Leiden. An interesting choice An excellent university. Me too, but then I'd retrained as a doctor instead. In Pakistan, my country, there were more opportunities for work But as a young man, many years back, I enjoyed chemistry as an intellectual challenge much more. Does your friend Abby have short spiky pink hair, tattoos over her arms, and dresses all in black? Victoria laughed, feeling immediately hugely elated and warm all over. That is definitely Abby. Not many around this sort of hospital with that description, Mr. Ahmed. Not quite, he replied, shaking her hand. She's outside waiting in the nurse's station, keeping them amused by the sound of it, so no need to phone. Otherwise, goodbye, Dr Mackenzie. Get up later and walk around for a while. Don't overexert yourself until you feel your energy back. I might consider a job if I were you in a nice, quiet research laboratory, rather than that awful refinery. There have been rumours for a while of serious problems down there. She grimaced for a moment. He was probably right, anyway. First things first. First, and she must want, and she just wanted to see Abby. As he walked out through the door, a whirlwind of excited, pink-haired babble ro- roared in and plonked itself down by the side of Victoria's bed, before jumping up and giving her a warm and gentle hug. Wow, Chuck, you look totally fabulous considering what has been happening. Have I been worried about you? But they wouldn't tell me sod all over the phone, as I wasn't a relative. Even though I tried to tell them, you had no relatives, and I was your next of kin. Tomorrow we'll have you out of here, and as my next Web Design Commission meeting isn't until next week, yours truly can pamper you like wicked. How does that sound? And you'll never guess, that guy in the flat opposite has been, Victoria, please just punch, put a gentle finger over Abby's lips. Steady on, Ms. Tornado. Let me ring for some tea. Then you can start again, only slowly. I want you to bring my skinny black jeans in tomorrow as this liquid diet over the last week has definitely improved my dress size. They giggled and began a non-stop catch-up, definitely likely to last until at least lunchtime. During the afternoon, once Abby had gone to see a client, Victoria made the effort to get up for the first time wrap a dressing gown around herself and walk slowly but steadily to the lovely garden outside. It was a warm and sunny late summer day, a little noisy from the traffic, but the roses were all out in bloom along with loads of chrysanthemums and flowering shrubs as she plonked herself on a bench. Other patients, in varying degrees of recovery, on crutches and in wheelchairs, were doing the same, all watched over discreetly by a couple of nurses near the door. She still couldn't understand why she felt so well, just a little tired, but she'd felt like that much of the time in a stressful job anyway and wasn't complaining. Living with her best friend Abby for the last three years in their compact two-bedroom apartment had been a bit of an experience. She still missed Eva occasionally, but that was a long time ago now, Eva was so amazing, coming over nearly every weekend, helping her to settle into the Dutch college system and environment, but more than anything, teaching her how, well, about life, normal things, relating with people for the first time. Eva had so many friends in Amsterdam. She had seriously calmed down, began to appreciate there was more to music than motorhead and Led Zeppelin, and developed a shared adoration of opera and jazz. She finally grew up, and she learned for the first time how to truly love another human being and do and be all the normal things she should have learned from her mother and father. Eva had provided the caring surrogate, but in a compressed time frame. Their relationship became intense, wonderful and accepted, and Eva made sure she got into Leiden University, where she continued to study hard, and she got her top degree in chemistry a year earlier than normal. Of course, after a year, she outgrew the commune in Amsterdam, and with Eva's help, she got a small bedsit in Leiden, which they both furnished and decorated. And the weekend job, which Eva found for her, testing in the laboratories of a bread factory in Delft, paid well. So she had become a truly independent scientist at last. That was the best period of her life. A constant balancing act, requiring lots of determination, trust and organization. But she loved it, and found she really did have an aptitude to be normal. She laughed, thinking about the moment when a large can of paint tipped off the ladder over Eva's head. Fortunately, it was water-based, although the bath never looked quite the same again, But like all good things, they always have to come to an end. Perhaps when you didn't expect it, alongside the inevitable trouble coming in threes. She was in the last year of her PhD. She noticed Eva a little edgy and distant, and then it all came out. Eva had been promoted to head of science in a girls' private school near Wigan but it seemed that the less than subtle and determined wiles and subterfuge of her head of English colleague had been too much to resist. They had been having a torrid affair for the previous two years, and finally were living together. Jasmine, or whatever stupid name it was, had now become a full-time writer of literary short stories or some crap or other. Victoria had never heard again from her mother and father. But then that same week, as Eva broke the news that it was best not to come over to Holland again, she received an email letter from Annie, now working in a beauty salon and living with Eric, Brian's old friend in Liverpool, who had been trying for years to track her down and finally managed through social media via the new Facebook page Eva had forced her to put up. Her father, it appeared, had died two years before and her mother had sold the cottage in Cinder Black Lane and vanished back to America. A cold and clammy sensation swept across her, just for a moment, and she remembered in a flash, as you do in moments like that, a couple of happy periods in her childhood. And she cried for hours, not particularly for her father, and certainly not for her mother, but for the great gaping hole of uncertainty and unreality for so long in her life that only now had been filled. That was until Eva provided the it's all over bombshell. And then the third thing, her landlord threatened her with eviction because he wanted the flat for his sister. Obviously, the ruins had been truly shaken. Her life had to restart a new phase. And that was when, on the hoof, she moved to Rotterdam, got a job in the testing laboratory in the Avondale Refinery and rediscovered men, sex and eventually Abby, a crazy ex-fashion designer from Manchester who worked in the Turkish kebab shop and still did, in between her precarious design freelancing. But now she could see her best friend Abby walking up the path to reception with a large bag of clothes. Great! It was time to depart. Pouring out a tea, sat in a cafe alongside the harbour in Rotterdam. Abby grabbed the last tea cake and stirred quizzically at Victoria. So are you going to tell me what happened in there? You've kept very silent. I still don't know how you can work in that awful place, the stench that comes out constantly. Victoria looked thoughtful. Abby had a fair point, but in fact, Quite possibly, events could take a life of their own, as she would find out the following day. She had been signed off by a doctor to return to work, but the refinery had asked her to meet with both the chief executive and her boss, the operations director, first thing. I may not have a job, actually, Abby. Things got sort of complicated. What? You mean finding yourself blown out of a building The only one alive with a massive explosion. Sounds like serious negligence to me and a big compensation payout. I don't know. Tell you what, if you go and get some lagers then I'll tell you, but because I need to try and make sense. Abby could see that Victoria was looking tense and strained. No problem. In fact, as it's coming up to lunchtime, I shall treat you to your favourite ham and cheese omelette with a big salad too. Victoria smiled back and nodded. Good, that's more like it. Exactly what best friends are for? Abby replied and sidled off to the crowded bar area to order the food. Victoria began to reflect carefully. After ten years in the laboratory and some useful promotions, management had put her on a fast-track leadership programme and she now headed and directed a small team of analysts who undertook constant sampling analysis of products for both safety and purity. She enjoyed her job and she was well paid enabling her to now afford a big mortgage on her luxury apartment which whilst compact was beautifully set up and furnished with an impressive modern kitchen and appliances. Then of course when one night she was picking up some kebabs at alleys around the corner and when Abby had discreetly asked if she knew of any lodgings it seemed a sensible move to let the other bedroom. They got on well from the beginning. Abby had quickly become, like Annie, a soulmate friend and they shared the same love of eating out, rock music, clubbing, clothes and men. Now both in their mid-thirties Neither wanted any permanent relationships, which always only lasted a couple of months, when they each moved on to the next conquests. Abby was a highly qualified fashion and textiles designer, with her own small label, but had suffered a bad business deal five years before, and was made bankrupt, surviving on Ali's continuing largesse to employ her three days a week, and the occasional design work, mainly on websites, as she was a whiz with computers. Abby plonked the lager glasses down on the table. "'You know, Vicky, it's a desert out there with any decent guys our own age. "'Do you think it's because we're getting old, crotchety spinsters or something? "'I'm getting a bit sick of Toy Boys, to be honest, "'especially that dick Adrian I've been seeing lately, "'because actually they all seem to fuck the same way "'and have nothing decent to say.' "'Victoria sighed. "'You may be right. "'I'm giving it a miss for a while.' I fancy a bit of a celibate spell and get my head together. I reckon it's time you went out with an older man. What's the oldest bloke you've been out with? 29. What? Abby roared, laughing as everyone looked around, her pink spiky hair dominating the colour scene of the drab cafe area. And you're 35? Jesus. At least I've dated some 40-year-olds. "'Big paunches are not so big!' Victoria interrupted, smiling. "'She loved Abby's never-getting-serious moments, but she had to get serious. "'I think I get the picture. OK, you want to hear? and drink up and the food's coming. Here goes.' "'My team had been given a rather tricky job. "'There was suspected corrosion in the distillation tower which produces heavy naphtha.' I was asked to organise some analytical work on the pipes. Naphtha? Yes, a smelly and very volatile liquid, a normal by-product of the usual distillation process of crude oil, used for a lot of solvents, and in the bitumen business for roads, you know, that sort of thing. It also used to be produced from coal tar years ago, when gas was made from heated coal. Not something you want to breathe, So we wear protective suits, masks, that sort of thing, and rely on effective ventilation, pumping to keep levels low when you work in there. But this job wasn't routine. The refinery is quite small by modern standards. And these days, unless there are huge concerns like in India and Russia, many refineries are struggling. Costs and staffing have been cut back in our plant, and sometimes maintenance has been slacker. But you never heard me say that, did you, Abby? Abby gazed wide-eyed at her friend, who was sounding much more officious and formal than she had heard before, and Victoria's hands were shaking. No, of course not. Hey, carry on. I'm all ears, and this big mouth is firmly zipped shut like so, drawing her finger across. Victoria laughed again. OK, are you ever not crazy? Anyway... When we were inside, after about half an hour, we had a number of pipes undone and were taking samples. I heard my deputy shouting into the intercom to get the fucking pump sorted quickly, as apparently the main pump to the tower, keeping us protected, had seized up, and the technicians were running around outside to find someone who knew how to start up the backup, as the normal guys were all on night shift. It was chaos apparently out there and then we all heard a hissing sound as vapour started escaping from a crack in the venting further along the shaft. My deputy looked at me and I immediately gave the instruction to exit immediately. But once we got to the main doors they had self-locked. God only knows why. Imagine it. You have nine people crowded together in a narrow shaft nowhere to go and a brown vapour seeping through various holes in the wall. Some panicked and literally started screaming and banging like crazy on the side and the doors, but we couldn't hear a thing. Our arm buzzers began sounding, detecting that levels of gaseous toxins were reaching a danger point beyond the capabilities of our gas masks. Jesus Christ, Vicky, the place sounds like a death trap before you even went in there. But that's the point, Abby. That's why nothing makes sense. Because when we first went in, Everything inside was shiny, clean and modern. But suddenly all the lighting had dimmed, like we were in candlelight. The walls looked like they were covered in great swathes of brown sticky slime. There was soot everywhere. There was nothing in the processing that produces soot like that. And then in the background, a thud, thudding sound and hissing like a reciprocating hammer, hitting a piece of metal and getting louder and louder to the point it hurt your ears. It was total bedlam, "'and the guys were going balmy. "'I've never seen such fear on people's faces. "'Yet I somehow seemed to manage to stay calm "'and shouted instructions to stay near the entrance. "'Help was coming, but nobody was listening. "'They were terrified, and then I saw and smelt it.' "'Abby leaned forward, her face terse, unable to comprehend. "'Then suddenly she began feeling strange. "'Oh, God, no!' 'Cause she hadn't felt those things for ages and it had suddenly come back abby your face has gone white i'm sorry fuck i didn't mean to frighten you what's the matter abby began taking deep breaths she leant back then put her head beneath her knees for half a minute before coming back up sweat pouring from her face i've had one of my um one of my turns "'But you seem have to have to finish this now. "'What did you see? You must tell me.' "'Abby held her arm as Abby's... "'Victoria held her arm as Abby's breathing slowly began back to normal, "'and then she wiped Abby's brow with her serviette. "'Sorry,' Abby replied. "'I think the stuffy heat in here just got to me for a minute, "'and I've had too much lager again. Ha-ha! <laughs> "'Carry on, please, Dr. Polymer.' It was the smoky vapour. It had turned from brown to a bright purple colour. was seeping like crazy out of the end pipe near me, alongside a dripping, clear mauve liquid. None of that made any sense whatsoever. I know my organic chemistry very well. Eva and Leiden University have taught me everything. That vapour wasn't naphtha, but from the smell, some sort of benzene compound, but nothing can possibly produce a purple gas. What about the liquid? It looked like a dye. And yes, there were dyes produced that colour from aniline, which is a related compound, but any vapour is colourless. I remember staring at this great swathe of purple gas, and then there was a huge flash of light, and that's all I remember. Next thing I recall is waking up in that hospital bed, of all things, looking at purple curtains in the room. Nothing was reported like that, Vicky. The press just said there was an explosion. Eight people died and one survived, but they declined to release names or any detail as an investigation by the refinery is ongoing. The side of the distillation tower blew out. Something ignited. The other eight of my team were found outside, also horribly burnt and disfigured. They couldn't have been formally identified except by DNA. But they found me alongside unconscious, assumed head injuries. And of course, it took me a week to wake up. But I looked completely normal. Not even my suit was ripped. The investigators, when they interviewed me at the hospital, all believed that I got out through the door, well ahead of everyone, and slammed it shut accidentally. But it wasn't like that. I was at the very back, right inside. I could see that saying otherwise wasn't going to help my cause especially when I said I had seen purple vapour and brown slimy walls like tar, and they had to test immediately for samples of what it was. They just laughed and wrote down severe shock and after-effects. As far as the plant is concerned, it all points to the naphtha having ignited, and a series of avoidable mishaps, which will have to be explained to the National Dutch Health and Safety Executive probably resulting in a big fine and making the plant even less viable. I can sense it, Abby. I'm going to be set up as the cause of the accident somehow and be the scapegoat to save the backsides of the executive. But I still don't understand what went on in there. It really was weird. Everyone, and I'm sure you too now, obviously thinks I'm blast bonkers. Abby went quiet and thoughtful for a few seconds. Actually, I do believe you. "'cause I sensed it not only when it happened, "'but also a minute ago.' Hey, eh? Victoria retorted, "'swinging down the last of her lager, "'having consumed half of Abby's omelette "'as well as her own. "'Bloody hell, Abby, "'you're not starking again on that psychic crap, are you? "'You sound less like my mother did. "'I'm sorry, but there is a rational scientific explanation. "'Somewhere, and I won't rest until I find out.' It's not silly, Ricky, seriously, I've always had a strong sixth sense of, well, things which couldn't be explained, and as a child I used to sometimes see things. What sort of things? That they have clanking chains and moan a lot? Don't mock. There are things and energies around us which can't always be explained. As a scientist, I thought you would have a more open mind. My mother was the same and her mother before her, and so was my brother, but not my father. These things do run in families. In fact, I'm surprised, if your mother claimed to be psychic, that you haven't, well, sometimes had feelings too. My mother only saw one kind of spirit, a brown liquid with a large bell on the side of the bottle. Anyway, I was no different from any other kid. All children see things. It's their overexcited, prepubescent imaginations. Sort of goes with the turf until they kick their kicks later from sex. Abby laughed. OK, let's leave this to another time. We should get back. It looks like a thunderstorm is on its way. And you need to sort out your best clobber if you're seeing the big chief tomorrow. As they walked back, Victoria began telling the story about the Ahmeds at the hospital. How deliciously fanciable both younger and older Ahmeds were, Abby decided not to mention any more. But in the evening, the moment she felt and knew something serious had happened to Victoria, before it all came on the television, she had dealt herself from her favourite pack of tarot cards. She had done three cards, five cards, and even a Celtic cross spread, but each time there was always one discernible similarity. The card of lovers and the card of hangmen appearing together on every deal, with either wands or swords. Heaven knows what that might be, but it made her uneasy. Victoria began looking at the impressive array of Van Gogh prints on the wall. She always loved sunflowers. They were about the only things that grew every year in their tiny back garden in Cinder Black Lane. It was quiet, except for the mild clack clacking of computer keyboards as a batch of secretaries were attacking a big pile of reports. Victoria, how great to see you so quickly and looking so well, A voice boomed out. Please come into my office. She turned and a very tall, thin man held out his hand, the reclusive CEO, Jos van der Dijk. She had only seen him on TV. He was never at the plant, but always gadding around the world in search of whatever he did. She felt some trepidation. This didn't feel like it was going to be exactly pleasant, as he opened the door for her. I'm glad you like the prints. We did have some originals once. But I'm afraid they were sold off to pay a tax bill years ago, long before my time, he laughed. Hello, Roland, she muttered, looking at her boss standing by the window. A severe expression across his face. He raised a smile when she walked over and kissed her cheeks three times in a Dutch fashion. Victoria, you look amazingly well, considering what we found out there. You reacted very fast to get out before the blast. Damn door locks jammed then, of course. Actually, Roland, it wasn't like. Then she stopped. What was the point? She could sense they had made up their minds and fire her anyway. Please take a seat, Victoria, van der Dijk requested, in a calm but measured tone. Now I won't beat about the bush, we've assessed the initial reports from the health and safety team and also your uh, comments and recommendations from the hospital. There is a lot of stuff still to be done, sieving through the remains, analysis and then a rebuild, you know the sort of thing. Roland and I are concerned that you are able to take the time to make a full recovery, both physically and of course from the trauma. So we would like you to take leave of six months, effective immediately, on full pay of course, and with your bonus all tax-free. On condition, uh, well, part of the arrangement too is we have booked your sessions, all paid for, at the Delta Hospital with a Dr. Mika Benink, which we would like you to attend. She looked at her boss. Roland, that place is a mental asylum, isn't it? He looked at the floor, then stared back into her eyes, forcing a smile. Actually, a very highly respected psychological clinic, who provide top-notch trauma counselling. We know you must have had quite a shock inside the distillation tower. Then you can come back and hit the ground running. Van der Dyke interrupted. What Roland means, Victoria, is that we will review the situation in six months and jointly agree the best way forward in your job. She knew instinctively what that meant. He had a reputation as ruthless to the core, so any requested deviation from what was on offer or asking for additional compensation would likely be tied up already with a huge load of hassle and aggro, and she really couldn't be bothered. She needed a holiday anyway and hadn't taken this year's allocation yet, "'so another month would be added on. "'Technically, at least, she would be employed still. "'Better to move on from. "'Fuck Vanderdyke and Roland, too, that squirming bastard. "'The break would give her some breathing space.' "'He continued. "'Is that acceptable to you, Victoria?' "'She nodded. "'Thank you. "'It's good to be working for a company "'that looked after its employees so well.' "'Roland looked away out of the window.' He sensed a tone, but van der Dyke simply waved to his secretary. Excellent. In that case, Lana will see you out, and we'll see you in six months' time. Have a pleasant break. She was out of his office and out of the building in an instant. She got into her pickup truck and was quickly through the security gate, and just like Cinder Black Lane, she didn't look back and never would again. The early morning sun drove a hazy beam of light through her half-closed blinds. Victoria pulled off her duvet and headed down the stairs to her newly renovated kitchen. Abby was late coming in. She stumbled over the pair of Wrangler jeans on the first two steps, noticing the logical mathematical sequencing of a trail of clothes resembling knickers, a top, boxer shorts, shirt and finally a bra entwined around the banister knob. Abby's door was closed, but a distinctive sound of snoring could be heard, which was definitely at a tonal Abby frequency she was familiar with. Victoria sighed and smiled. One more notch on the bedpost. Shit, there wasn't room for any more notches. She switched on the coffee pot and started to make a brew. She had all the time in the world for a change, and it felt good, like a big stone off her back. Two rather pale faces with towels wrapped around the rest, and looking distinctly worse for wear, popped their heads around the door. Hey, you guys, I've made enough coffee for three. Want some? There was a groan, or was it a grunt of vague approval, as Abby shuffled in. Snake bites again, Victoria. This is Vittorio. I think I got that the right way round. The olive-skinned male, with dark hair and ever so trim designer stubble, was actually rather delectable under that worn-out gaze. Abby could be a real taskmistress. He smiled. Hi, Victorina. I am uh, from uh, Rome, and I I will be leaving in a boat um, very shortly. Well, that's cool, Victor, because my friend Abby and I will be going on a long vacation ourselves this afternoon, So I'll say ciao, si vediamo, in advance, as I'm now going for a morning constitutional stroll around the harbour. Porridge, either of you? Looking behind at a grinning, Abbey, mouthing, are we? When she returned an hour later, having bumped into Sandy and Krista, former colleagues, for a good gossip, and Wolf threw a large plate of bacon eggs, beans, a fried egg, and three rounds of toast down at Halley's, who kept perpetually asking where his lovely Abby had got to and that was just her portion. She realized that the brief Italian invasion was, o- was over. Abby, now showered, perfumed and dressed in her skinny Zara jeans and pink floral jacquard crop top, had both tidied up and vacuumed and not a boxer short could be seen. She was quietly even polishing the dining table. Vicky, <coughs> I know that was a bit fleeting, even for me. So what's this about a long holiday? What happened then with the big boss? I assume they fired you. Not quite, but I have the next six months fancy free on full pay, so I thought we might take a week in the sun. Gosh, I have a big hankering for Ibiza, really hit the clubs. Hmm, that sounds right good, Chuck. But what about Ali, the love of my life? He thinks you've done a bunk anyway, so he won't miss you for another week. And holiday is on me, a celebration and big thank you for being the best and most entertaining friend ever. You mean even better than the astounding and incredible Eva? Victoria grimaced. She knew Abby's humor of old. Maybe, but Eva touched those parts others have failed to reach. Abby roared laughing. I don't think we'll go into that. Not this time of day. I'm definitely not doing any lessee threesomes. "'Hey, neither am I ever again, but it was some good while it lasted. "'So I shall get onto the laptop and book us the raunchiest week I can find. "'Cool, and there's the postman too, so we can get to it. "'I'll just get the letters.' "'Victoria was well into scouring the worst and noisiest Ibiza hotels "'she could dredge onto the screen. "'Abby sauntered back with two T's and a handful of brown envelopes, all bills.' As they slurped their drinks, Abby suddenly got up and ran back out of the hallway. I forgot, there was one for you as well, from the UK actually. In fact, Liverpool on the stamp. Well, go on, open it. Victoria glanced at the envelope and immediately noticed the fine paper. This wasn't another missive from Annie who had got bored on Facebook and started writing letters for goodness sake. She opened it carefully, Took out the letter and began to read it. But Abby felt an immediate pang of concern seeing Victoria's expression change from licentious nonchalance to a very serious and hard frowning at the contents. Blimey, get over with. What sort of bad news is it? Victoria was silent for a minute, staring into space, oblivious in deep thought. Well? Actually, it isn't bad news. Sort of the opposite and quite amazing, but I don't understand at all. You're not going to believe this, but it looks like I've inherited a property in England. My goodness, that's serendipity. Whose property? I thought all your family were dead. So did I, and it's not just any old property, but a mansion and a sum of money. Jesus Christ, Abbey, the house is Orsbrick Hall. Pardon? That big old house I talked about. The one that always scared the life out of me as a child and I was never allowed to visit. You mean in Lancashire where you lived? Yes. This letter's from a solicitor, Green and Burgess, in Liverpool. It says their conditions and I must visit the office immediately in person and only see Linton Gray, principal partner. I'm going to have to go to Liverpool. Damn, I hate the place. Abby looked hard, smiled and patted her arm. Close that laptop. Forget Ibiza. I'll come with you. Always fancied a magical mystery tour back to Liverpool. You forget I did my undergraduate fine art degree there. It was my MA I did in fashion design in London. Wonder if the cavern is still there. Victoria grinned and mused. Well, why not? And she could always surprise Annie, too, although with four kids and living in a council house in Speak, maybe she would give that a miss. OK, Miss Psycho. Bloody hell, that was Freudian. I mean, Miss Psychic. You're on. In fact, I think there are flights from Rotterdam to John Lennon Airport on me. Abby had the laptop open again. On to it. Tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock sharp. Booking, booking, booked. Booked. Thank goodness Vittorio is gone. They shrieked with laughter and began frantically looking for their rucksacks. End of chapter.